got a name Why would it be and would you call it to his face If you were faced with him in all his glory Why would you ask if you had just one question That is a cracking song if you are under the age of 30, you probably missed out on that era, but let me just tell you, it was a great era of music. You can find more songs like that on my YouTube channel. That's obviously a joke, there is no YouTube channel. But it is a brilliant question. If you could come face to face with God, what question would you ask him? And my hunch is that in the middle of this pandemic, the COVID-19 crisis, the most commonly asked question would be, where is God? Where is God in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our suffering? In fact, that's the most commonly asked question throughout church history. When people enter a moment of suffering or crisis, it's the obvious thing to ask, like, God, where are you? Like, where are you in the midst of this challenge that I'm facing? In fact, for many people that are searching for faith, it's one of the big obstacles to faith. Like, how can God allow suffering? Where is God in the midst of suffering? But that question is based upon two presuppositions. The first presupposition is the existence of God. To ask where is God presupposes that he exists, which is a good start. The second presupposition is really around the character of God. Either he is absent, and that says something about his character, like maybe he's a distant deity. He created the world, he got the ball rolling, but then he stood apart and stands indifferent to the suffering that we experience. Or he's not absent, he's near. And if he's near, there's other questions that we might ask about his character. Like maybe he's not powerful enough to save. Like maybe he doesn't love us enough to intervene and step into this crisis. All of these are huge questions. The point is, whenever we ask the question, where is God in the midst of our suffering? What our soul is really asking is who is God in the midst of our suffering? Now that's a question that the nation of Israel constantly asked throughout the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. There's this one book called the Psalms. It's like the hymn book of the nation of Israel. It's where they ask their most raw and honest questions. And a question they're often asking throughout the Psalms is like, Lord, show us your face. They knew the story of Moses. Moses was the one guy that glimpsed the face of God. In the ancient world, they believed that one's glory was revealed in the face. One's character, nature, their essence was revealed in their face and Moses had spoken face to face with God and as a result his life was transformed he began to radiate the goodness and the grace and the glory of God it's like when one of your mates goes on holiday to somewhere you're like beautifully sunny they come back with an incredible tan and people say oh where have you been you got an amazing tan it was like that people were asking of Moses like oh where have you been like your face is glowing and the answer was, I've been in the presence of God. I've seen, just glimpsed the glory of God and it's totally transformed my life. And suddenly everyone was like, we want to go there. We want to see the face of God. Listen to these questions. This is Psalm 4 verse 6. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me. Psalm 27, my heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Psalm 31, let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. All of these cries 
not just where are you in the midst of our suffering, who are you in the midst of our suffering? We want to see your face. We want the experience that Moses had because it transformed his life. We want to see your face. Now, all of those questions are emphatically answered as the New Testament opens with the arrival of Jesus. The Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and people discover that when you see the face of Jesus, you've seen the face of God. You've seen the character and the nature of God displayed in the person of Jesus. Listen to how some of the writers of the New Testament describe Jesus. Let's start with the Apostle John, who said, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, that's Jesus, who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Listen to the Apostle Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. This is Colossians chapter 1. He says the Son is the image of the invisible God. This God that we haven't seen before, now in Jesus we have seen the face of God. A chapter later, this is Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, For in Christ the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Just one more, because I know you're desperate for more. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the writer of Hebrews says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. All of this just mirrors what Jesus himself said. He said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So suddenly, as, as the gospel accounts open, people see the face of God. They see his glory, his character, his nature, and their lives are transformed forever. We're beginning a teaching series this week called The Face of God. It's really an exploration into the character and nature of God. We're trying to really engage in this question, not just where is God in the midst of our suffering, but who is God in the midst of our suffering? We're going to look at encounters that people have with the person of Jesus, how they begin to see the face of God and how their lives are transformed forever. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 8. This is a well-known story about a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. They all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered round him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery. Notice the language there, caught in the act she's grabbed from the scene of the crime she's taken to the most public place you could possibly imagine the temple courts the center of jewish life the center of their faith so she's dragged probably naked totally humiliated by this experience into the temple courts and this is what happens they made her stand before the group and said to jesus teacher this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law of moses it commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using these questions as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
So she comes into this encounter with Jesus, with God in human form. She's naked, she's humiliated, she's preparing for death. The crowd, they're picking up stones, they're ready to stone her to death, not because they're particularly an angry crowd or this is the mob mentality. No, they're a Jewish crowd trying to be obedient to the Torah. And the Torah, the Jewish framework for law, basically said if someone's caught in the act of adultery, the punishment for the crime is stoning to death. So they're getting ready to be obedient to the, the Torah. And then the Pharisees ask Jesus the question. Now, just put yourself in the, in the position of the woman. She's cowering. She's preparing for death. She's ready to get hit by the first rock. She knows this crowd, this Jewish crowd, they're going to throw the rocks and they're going to throw them hard. So she's absolutely terrified. And then Jesus steps in and asks this question, hey guys, whoever is without sin, you go on, throw the first stone. And that totally floors the crowd because suddenly Jesus is, is saying, are any of you righteous enough to be the judge right now? It's going to take a pretty bold person to say, yep, I'm without sin. Here he goes. So one by one, you begin to hear the sound. That isn't the intro to EastEnders. No, no, no. That's the sound of rocks beginning to hit the ground. And one by one, this crowd disperses. And what you're left with is a scene of Jesus and this woman. Now, Jesus stands up. In other words, they're looking at each other face to face. This woman caught in the act of adultery is now face to face with God. Now, my hunch is if she knew that she was going to be looking into the face of God, she'd be like, I don't want to see his face. Like, remember the song I sang at the beginning, verse two? If God had a face, what would it look like and would you want to see? And the answer is most people would probably answer no. Don't think I would want to see the face of God. Like maybe if I saw the face of God, he'd be angry. Because I've turned my back on him, I haven't lived according to his principles, his laws, his heart, his ways. Like, I think he'd be angry at me. Some people would be like, no, 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 it's worse than that. He wouldn't just be angry. He'd be disappointed. Have you ever had that moment with your dad? And the dad says, look, I'm not angry with you. You're like, oh no, he's disappointed. He's disappointed. Like maybe, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, I don't want to see his face. Like, I'm disappointed enough with myself. Like, I don't need some sort of divine figure that's disappointed with me too. That would be unbearable. No, 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 I'd rather not see the face of God. Maybe this woman was like, I don't want to see the face of God. Maybe he's angry. Maybe he's disappointed because I've been in multiple affairs and now I've been caught in the act of adultery. But here she finds herself looking into the face of God. And what does God do? Like she might, might be expecting that the God who created is the source of the Torah it is now going to be one of the guys throwing the stones and throwing it hard. And no, when she looks into the face of Jesus, she sees grace. Jesus says, do those guys condemn you? No. Do I condemn you? No. Go and leave your life of sin. In other words, you're forgiven. Like follow a different path. It's a path that leads to life. So many people that would answer the question, if you could see the face of God, would you? Be like, no. And my encouragement would be like, 
you're missing out. You might be expecting a wrathful father, a distant father, a disappointed father. But if you actually dared to look at the face of God revealed in the person of Jesus, what you'd actually see is grace and love. Just one glance at the face of God would lead you to fullness of life. I think sometimes of this encounter as like the opposite of Eden, like the Garden of Eden where we were naked and unashamed, like fully alive, running around in this garden of abundance, fully free. Now this encounter, the woman is naked, but she's full of shame. She's not free, she's trapped. Like these Jewish men are getting ready to kill her. She's hemmed in, she's totally afraid. She's getting ready to die. This isn't fullness of life. This is like she's about to experience death. And then the God who created the world, the author of life steps into the encounter and basically says to the woman, you weren't created for this. And in that one encounter, that one glance at the face of God, she begins to experience and taste the life she was made for, the life of Eden. She suddenly, not in this trapped, terrified moment, no, she's in an expansive place, the temple courts, but they're empty now. And Jesus says, no, no, go, you're, you're free. Leave your old life, this hemmed in life, this life that wasn't really life. Now go and fully live. You know the name of Jesus in Aramaic is Yahshua. The long term is Yehoshua, Joshua. It means Yahweh saves, the, the root word. A Hebrew word is Yasha, which basically is salvation or a wide open space. So the name of Jesus, Yahshua, literally means God, Yahweh, will lead you to a wide open space. As this woman saw the face of God, in other words, his glory, his character, his nature, what happened? She was led to a wide open space. So for anyone that's asking the question, where is God in the midst of my suffering? I want to suggest that maybe the question your soul is really asking is, who is God in the midst of my suffering? And as those questions begin to emerge, some of them doubt, some of them just, it's curiosity. I want to say, rather than trying to push them down, think, oh no, that will overwhelm my faith, or, or that will be a major obstacle to me finding faith. What if you said, no, what if those questions, what if those doubts were actually an invitation towards faith? What if you began to take seriously this question, who is God? in the midst of my suffering. Who is Jesus? What if you grabbed your Bible and started reading Matthew, Mark, Luke and John? Who is Jesus? Because if I see Jesus, I'm going to see God. And what if when you see Jesus, you don't see judgment and a wrathful father figure and a disappointed deity staring down at you? What if you look into the face of God and you see grace and you see love? And you see a God that's drawn near and would suffer with you and for you. I mean, this story points towards the cross, right? She was the one that was naked, full of shame, getting ready to die. And Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to take on that predicament for you. Like however many months after this encounter, they would see Jesus stripped naked, like crown of thorns sarcastically put in his head like king of the Jews yeah as if he would be loaded down with shame crucifixion the most humiliating way to die and he would die why so that we could walk into a wide 
open space. That's what we were made for. That's what we are redeemed for. So here's my encouragement. As these questions begin to rise, look into the face of God. Explore the person of Jesus. I believe he will lead you to life because that's his name and that's his nature. Jesus leads us to a wide open space. Why don't we pray? I'm gonna encourage you to stand in your bedroom, in your lounge, in your kitchen, wherever you are, to hold out your hands in a simple posture of receiving. As I say each week, you're gonna feel like a complete idiot, but that moment will pass. And what we're trying to do in this moment is open ourselves to an encounter with the God of grace, the God who isn't distant, but is near and wants to draw closer and closer and closer. He wants us just to experience more of his grace, not just intellectually understand more of it, but experience it. So in this posture of being open to receiving a gift, let's receive the gift of his presence. Holy Spirit, would you come? Fill the rooms that we're in right now with your presence and fill us with grace. Lord, we ask that you draw near and reveal to us the heart of the Father, that we might taste his grace, his love, his goodness, his mercy, that triumphs over judgment. Show us who you are, show us your face. Holy Spirit, come. And if you're not a Christian, but you've logged on, you're watching this, and you're asking questions about the divine realm, about God's existence, what if you pray a really bold prayer right now? which might go something like this, God, I, I don't believe in you, I'm not sure that you exist, but if you do exist, come and reveal yourself to me now and fill me with your presence.